Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. And with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, uh, the creative and inclusion editor here at Adweek. Shannon, how are you doing this week? Well, I am just fantastic. How are you? Hey, I mean, that's... I feel like we're we're all just like trying to psych each other up each week. Like, good, right? Well, I think I'm you know, good. You it's, put out a tweet once that's a thing, like I come in with like a pretty like general like I can't remember what the term was, but basically like very somber. And I'm like, I have to actively change that. <laughs> that can't be my legacy. I said I said that about yes. you. <laughs> like how like the beginning banter is always like you ask me how I am I'm somber for a second and then we just have this very sobering moment and I was like, <laughs> like deep, that can't be me so now d- deep exhale <laughs> like, like a quick quick existential crisis and then we just move into the show and I'm like well now I have to change that so now every week I'm like I am splendiferous how are you doing you're like I, I should I should lie <laughs> <laughs> well um Hey, I'm just glad we're all doing our best. And speaking of that, uh, we've got someone who just does his best every day, makes the rest of us look downright lazy. Jameson Fleming, agency's editor here at Adweek. Uh, Jameson, it's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. That's quite the introduction. I don't think I make everybody look lazy in the least, but I try. Uh, I don't think I do. Well... In addition to having a spectacular story in the print issue of Adweek this week, which we're going to be talking about, about the future of work, what should offices look like? Do you want to work in one? Uh, we're going to be tackling all that with Jameson and hearing about what the agency world is feeling about when, whether, if it's worth uh, going back into offices, what they should look like, how they should work. But first, Jameson, your annual tradition, what you are truly best known and appreciated for within the advertising industry is the annual agency name or derby horse quiz which we time to the Kentucky Derby. Um, tell us about how this got started. What year are we on of of Derby Horse or Agency? <laughs> yeah, this is this is the fifth year of doing it. 
I don't know. It was one some stupid idea that I remember pitching you back in uh, 2018, I want to say. was I think I actually mentioned it to you once in 2017, and we just didn't do it for some reason. And then I, I didn't give up on it, and I came back to it in 2018. It was like, I've got this great idea, hoping that maybe you hadn't remembered that I already pitched this. And you were like, <laughs> this is awesome. And so we immediately did it. And uh, we went out to Bryant Park, picked out a bunch of random people, including someone from the UK who clearly had no idea what I was trying to accomplish. Like she even asked like, what's the other option of the Derby horse? I have to be like ad agencies. It's either a Derby horse or an ad agency. And she's like, oh, okay. All right. Um, and so, yeah, we just go out and we, we torment people trying to, you know, see if they can figure out if they can tell the difference between ad agencies and derby horses. The last two years, we did it remotely over Zoom where we, you know, found people through Twitter, like marketers um, to do it. And this year we went to FIG, uh, uh, which is an indie agency in New York. Um, and I, I tortured those, those poor employees. They had to try to play this game. They had no idea what they were doing. Um, the, their head of business kind of just pulled, pulled a bunch of people aside and said, pretty much get on camera that week, you're going to play a game. And they, yeah, they didn't know what was about to hit them, but they did pretty well, except for their executive career director. I think he got like three out of 12, right? He, he's new to this industry. It'll, it'll be, you know, just give him time. Um, so how many, I mean, you don't repeat names, right? Over multiple years. No, I've, I've never repeated a name. So five years in, I usually use at least 20 to 25 agencies. So I'm up over a hundred agencies at this point that could be confused with a racehorse. Do you, can you think back? I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't ask you to prepare this in advance. But is there one an agency name that you think back to that like nobody nobody ever thought was an agency name? Um, oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, this year I had one list that had like Boondoggle, Bow and Arrow, Chaotic Moon, and people were just like Chaotic Moon. There's like no way that's an ad agency, and yet it was. Um, like my favorite ad agency. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a that's a Legend of Zelda expansion, actually. Um, I don't know. There were a few like Our Man in Havana. Like, there's no way that should be an ad agency like that. That you have to assume that is a horse that has won the Derby. Yet Our Man in Havana, it's, it's an ad agency. Um, Major Tom, like that has to be a horse. Nope. Let's uh, before we give away anymore. Let's listen to a little bit of this year's uh, Derby Horse or Ad Agency, and so everyone can get a flavor of uh, what a great what a great host Jameson is on this uh, storied five year tradition. Hey, sports fans! Welcome to the Ad Week Sports Minute. I'm Jameson Fleming, Ad Week's agencies editor, and we are here at Fig, a New York based independent agency, to play our favorite game for the fifth straight year: Kentucky Derby Horse or Ad Agency. Tell us who you are. Mark Filio. I'm the founder of Fig. All right, we got the big gun here today. All right, first one up, Barbarian. Agency. That's correct. Nimbus. Agency. That's correct. Bloom. Agency. That's correct. Epicenter. It sounds like an agency. That is incorrect. That's a horse. Carrie Noir. Uh, horse. That is an agency. Unojo. Uh, horse? That is correct. Messier. Agency. That's incorrect. Boondoggle. Horse. That is incorrect. Bow and arrow. Agency. That's correct. Chaotic moon. 
Horse. That's incorrect. Zandon. Agency. That is incorrect. Morello. Horse. That's correct. Heartbeat. Agency. That's correct. Did he get enough to win? I am sorry to say you did not win the Ad Week Sports Minute, but we still have a prize for you. Did he get enough to win? You are a winner. You've won the Ad Week Sports Minute, and you're going to Social Media Week. All right. Congratulations. I, 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 I would like to take this moment to apologize for not greenlighting it, apparently, the first year that you pitched it. But I'm glad that it's now in its fifth year. This is truly one of our favorite because it, it highlights it highlights two things to me. One is that there are always new agencies coming around. Like people think that you know people are always like, oh, there's only like ten agencies anyone cares about. It's like no, every year there's there's a bunch, and obviously it takes us a little while to find out about them sometimes. But I feel like even though this is somewhat a silly project, it gets into branding, but it also James and I assume is good for you as the agency's editor, just to discover some of these folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I've had in past years, like people reach out to me and be like, uh, oh man, the first time my agency ever got mentioned on ad week was when I was being compared to a derby horse, which sometimes I feel to bat, feel bad about, but, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. Uh, like long, long, long time ago, it's still out there on the internet, of course, but I did a piece about the weirdest agency names. And this is probably like 13 years ago. Um, but the number, it was interesting because I just kind of ranked them. I, I ranked them. I think there were like 50. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, Moosylvania, which I think is still around, and a, a bunch of bunch of fun ones. But we ranked number one was Wexley School for Girls, uh, which ended up, you know, they, they were quite well known. I believe they were Seattle. Uh, they're gone now. Uh, but I I asked them for an interview about how their name came about. And what's funny is they had given many interviews about how their name came about, and they always lied. Every single time they made up a different story. And it's really obvious if you are reading multiple articles about them that every single version is different. Like they had one about, it was named after a, a, a nunnery, like a bunch of nuns who grew holistic watermelons. And like they came up with all these stories. And then by the time I reached out to them, <laughs> the timing was good because they were like, we're, you know, we're done lying. Uh, we'll just tell you the real story. And the real story was that they were sitting in a room, flipping through a dictionary, trying to name their agency. And so they were just looking at random words. And someone said, Wesley? And the other one goes, I like that, Wexley? And he goes, no, I said Wesley. He's like, mm, no, Wexley's cool. And then they <laughs> they just like misheard each other. And then they just started riffing on like, what is the the weirdest place you could work you know, that they could go to work. It's like a school for girls. And then that was it. It was, so there was no like deep meaning. A lot of these things just come out, but I love agency names. Can stories. I please pitch a spinoff called agency description or ride at Epcot? Because I think that that would be a good accompaniment. I cannot, I cannot <laughs> count how many times I've just been like, so are you a media agency or you're a creative agency? And I go to the page, it's like, we're not an agency. We're an experience that transcends time. It's like, okay, okay, please just be straightforward. <laughs> Where imagination meets tomorrow. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I might have to run with that. And we, we've done spinoffs. Like we did Indy 500 driver or ad agency founder where we had, you know, all these stodgy old white man names that could easily be confused with Indy 500 winners. Uh, that was a good one. We shot that at RGA probably four years ago. I love it. Uh, 
All right. So I encourage everyone check out the full video of this this year's uh, agency. I always forget the order. I always mix it up. If it is it Derby Horse or Agency or Agency or Derby Horse? I feel like Derby Horse or Ad Agency rolls off the tongue better. I think it's usually how I, I say it. So Google that. You will find it on adweek.com. Um, someone someone message, texted me a screenshot that they hit their uh, free article limit be- right before they got to that story. And they were like, I need you to make this free content. This is vital information for the public. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> so, I unlocked it yesterday at some point because I had somebody else email <laughs> me and, and call this Adweek as in W-E-A-K for locking that up. I was like, all right, that, that's valid. <laughs> How dare you? This is, this is a joke video. There's no reason you need to register and give us your email to watch this. I mean... It's the it's the least you owe us, but but fine, fine. Um, so okay, let's uh, let's uh, take a quick break in between horse talk, and uh, we will uh, grab some coffee, and then we'll be back to talk about the future of work, the future of agencies. Hey there, podcast fam! Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. All right, we are back uh, with Jameson Fleming, agency's editor uh, here at Adweek, and of course with Shannon Miller, our creative and inclusion editor, and we are here to talk about the future of offices. Um, I guess first, before we get into your story, which is really great, Jameson, uh, that you wrote with Amy Lederman, our agency's colleague, uh, that is in this week's issue of Adweek. But first, I just I'm like curious to get you to your take on. Uh, we, we've all been in the Adweek office at various levels of time. None of us are required to go in. Um, I, I love it there. I love seeing people, but it is surreal to be back in an office after all these years of remote. Jameson, what's your take on like when you go into the office? You go in like decently often. How are you? How do you feel about it? Like, what do you think is good about being back in an office? Yeah, I mean, I, I go in usually like once or twice a week, and I mean, for me, it, it's more like. 
I'm going into New York to meet with agencies. And so I need a place to work. So I go to the office because still not too many people are going in. Um, you know, there might be like five or six other people from editorial there on the days that I go in. Every once in a while, you hit like a jackpot of like 10 or 15 people. Um, and since most of my team is remote, um, Emmy is the only one that is sometimes coming into the office that, you know, I'm not necessarily there for like, you know, to do stuff in person with colleagues. And sometimes it works out that we have in-person meetings, but for me, it's, it's much more just having a, a meeting place right now, or, you know, a home base when I need to go meet with agencies and stuff. You know, I think that's going to change over time as we all get more comfortable and we all start probably coming in a little more often, but yeah, I mean, for me, for me right now, it's just like a place to set up shop when I need to go meet agencies. I, I, I find myself so gossipy the second I set foot in the office. Like if I, I like, and it's even if no one's around, I just want to tell people stuff. Not like, not like bad gossip, but you know what I mean? It's just like, Ooh, what'd you see? Did you see this? What do you think of this? And then like, and then I get frustrated if there aren't enough people around for me to annoy. But like at home, I don't sit there slacking everybody about like the stuff I would just turn to them. I don't know. I, I it just makes me happy to be around other people and be able to just talk like human beings. Uh, Shannon, you've, you've been in at least what, once or twice to the main office. Yeah. Um, like ever since I started my career in journalism, I've worked remotely. So that comes after a pretty um, tumultuous relationship with offices. Um, so for me, like my image of office work is really guided by my previous life which was super toxic and just really wasn't conducive to anything that's sort of healthy, but that's not indicative of office life in general. It's sort of indicative of the companies that I worked for previously. Um, Here, I feel like there's a, I have like a good balance between going up to the office. I'm, I'm based in Florida, so it does require quite a trip for me to be in the office. But when I do, it's um, very, very, uh, productive. It's super helpful um, being around my colleagues D- every once in a while does really like renew that sort of cr- the, renew my creative juices. So there is definitely a lot of value in having that office work, but, you know, talking to other folks in the part of the industry that I cover, I think a lot of creatives in the ad industry kind of look um, at office life a little bit as like kind of necessary. It, it was Right now we're doing the um, the profile series, the AAPI uh, Creative Spotlight series. And I was surprised by how many of them just said, like, I prefer to work in the office. I create better when I'm in the office. Whereas with me, I'm like, I need to be on my couch in the corner with, like, no one around me. And that's when I write my best work. So for me, office life isn't, like, terribly, terribly necessary. But it does have a lot of great perks. Um, I'm just wondering what the off, how office life is going to look with sort of like the future of production, which we've talked about a lot. Yeah. So Jameson, what is the, I have a, a lot more thoughts and, and things that I've heard anecdotally, but in terms of big picture, how, how are agencies feeling about the future of offices and how are agency employees feeling about the future of offices? Yeah. And so I think it's, it's important to think about like what offices were compared to what they are now. And so before, you know, I think most employers and most employees just kind of viewed an office as like, this is where work happens, like work gets done here, as opposed to like, my office should be a tool to make the work better, because we all proved we can get the work done if we're home and remote. But 
I think a lot of these agencies are thinking about, okay, well, how do I make a space that people want to A, come to, and B, actually then make them better at their jobs? Um, and so that's what everybody's trying to figure out on top of this, like, you know, how many days do we come back? Do we mandate it? Do we go flexible versus hybrid? Because that's like a whole nother thing of like, you know, most, most employees seem to be on board of like, okay, I'm willing to come back two or three days a week, but then you get into this, well, if it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or it's, you know, certain set days, you all of a sudden lose that flexibility that you came to love during, you know, this work from home period of like, oh, hey, on Tuesdays, I got to go take my kid to Little League practice. Well, if I'm mandated in the office on Tuesdays, I now lose that. So everybody's trying to figure out like what that right balance is between hybrid, flexible, how many days. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like everybody's trying to make their office something that is actually a tool that makes the work better for everybody. Yeah, I feel like the amenities were always such a bolted on, just like, oh, and we have this cool thing off to the side. And I feel like now the office kind of has to be the cool thing. Like, not not cool in the decorative or, like, traditional morale way of, like, you know, obviously the most cliched being the ping pong table or whatever uh, that, that no one plays. It's like there's always these jokes in ad agencies of, like, they'd bring in arcade games and ping pong tables or whatever, and then no one uses them, depending on your culture, like if the culture is kind of a grindhouse, um, the then no one, everyone's like, I don't want to be the one that looks like they're just playing games when everyone else is like working fourteen hour days. So there's there's always been these kind of mixed uh, opinions of amenities, but now I feel like like Adweek's in the middle of remodeling um, or, or getting started with remodeling our office, and I felt like what really resonated with folks when we kind of debuted internally what that's going to look like is that it's just more spaces to get together, like more sizes of spaces to, to sit down with people and collaborate versus it, to your, to your first point, like it's no longer just a warehouse of cubicles, right? Like offices were just like, here's where you sit. And then if we have room, we'll leave, <laughs> we'll leave a little space for people to sit down together. And now I feel like you don't need nearly as many desks, and that opens up a lot more space for collaborative areas and just different kinds of collaboration. So, you know, what kind of what kind of trends are you seeing in, in terms of how they're going to be using that space? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of places where are going away from, you know, having set desks, you know, hoteling is, uh, you know, a big thing, which is where, you know, you can choose any desk or any workspace that you want on a given day. And, and so the result is more, more open spaces, um, you know, as you'll see in the story, um, you know, you'll see these incredible lounge spaces. I mean, Preacher just has like rows and rows of couches and like almost like many, many living rooms um, throughout, throughout the, the whole building. Um, FCB Chicago actually completely redid one floor so that it's like an entire lounge and they banned Zoom calls. So it's like if you if you're going to go into this lounge to work, whether it's by yourself or with others, like you are there to actually talk and collaborate with others and not just sit there on the phone and annoy people, uh, which I thought was like an effective way. If you're going to like spend the money to build this beautiful lounge, like why have why spend it on Zoom calls? I mean, they have other built out like privacy areas for that. But this one specific space is just Zoom and phone call free. Um, and, you know, I talked to Grow, which is an agency in Norfolk, which um, has a really interesting concept where they actually built a campus 
that's not just for them. They opened it up where they're renting it out to other companies, other startups in the area. And then they have a bunch of um, communal space so that you could be you know, working next to somebody that's got some kind of like cool tech startup or, you know, is, you know, a startup for some product where you get to like be around other people doing other things that could inspire you and could potentially drive new business opportunities. Um, so they have like a, you know, an auditorium, they have a gorgeous rooftop deck that they can have like events up there. Um, you know, it was just a really smart move by the agency because they, you know, basically were able to, you know, share all this space. And so everybody that rents there, including themselves, has a smaller footprint because of it. They're essentially paying for less space, but getting more, if that makes sense. So one question that I have is like something that I've observed across multiple industries, not just in advertising, but just in entertainment and or or anything that you really look at. Um, there was a time during the pandemic, like early, early in the pandemic in like 2000 or 2000, my goodness, in 2020, where it seemed... It's like the swine flu pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> How old was I even in, 20, in 2000? Um, like early on in like 2020, where I think we were in like month two and we started seeing these industries kind of like when we did not have the option of doing anything in person really acclimate to that and offer like these virtual options. Like the thing that I think about um, often is just like film, the film industry for journalists who previously had trouble getting access to special screenings in order to do their job. Now during the pandemic, they were offering screening links. So a lot more people who didn't have access to like the big sort of screening hubs like New York or LA had an opportunity to screen with the rest of the industry until we returned to in-person. And then all of a sudden, all of that was gone. Like those links dried up and that was back to those in-person screenings. And it just sort of reverted back. And it was almost like that industry hadn't learned anything. I'm curious to know, like for, you know, agencies, are there any agencies in particular that, that you think are really considering like, sort of the way forward, like the post-pandemic idea of what agency life could be? Like, are there any agencies that are like, we can't go back to that strictly in-person life? Um, we have to consider like sort of the new era of creation. Yeah. I mean, I think most agencies have generally gotten on board with like, you know, we will hire from anywhere and we're going to have, you know, a small part of our workforce just not be in New York or Chicago or wherever the agency is based. But I thought the most interesting model that we kind of uncovered in this reporting was one that Emmy found. Um, it was called Rain, the Growth Agency, where they actually have, um, they have like a main Portland office, but then they have clusters of employees all over the place. Um, and so they had shut down all of their other former offices uh, but they start hiring everywhere. And so they'll actually hold pop-up offices where for like a week in Albuquerque, the you know 30 people who live in the Albuquerque area can go into this office that we've set up for like a week or two and see each other and work together. And they're kind of like looking at, you know, geographical areas where they have the largest concentration of employees and creating temporary workspaces from time to time. I think they do one a month 
you know, around the country where, you know, anybody within a, you know, a reasonable distance can come into that office, get some of that face-to-face time uh, with people, which, you know, I think everybody would argue is valuable to some extent, like working remote is great, but, you know, it's nice to be able to see your colleagues from time to time because it just, it's easier to build trust and rapport with people, uh, you know, face-to-face. And so they're, they're coming up with ways to, you know, give employees a, a small bit of that, while also still allowing them to just enjoy that remote life. Yeah, let's talk a bit about the the you know the negative aspects of all. It's I feel like largely we talk about understandably playing up the the good parts or like right like building out the good parts of offices. Shannon, not to put you on the spot to to reflect a a really disparate range of opinions here, but I feel like there there has been a lot of uh, a lot of voices over the last two years of wanting people to recognize that the office has not been a great experience for many people, especially people who are like in a majority white office, if you are not, or if you are just feel, feel like an other in any office where you are different from any other people. I remember hearing even, even a year or two in to the pandemic folks saying, I love this. I've just not having to deal with microaggressions, not having to deal with feeling weird or different, which again, that gets into culture. I mean, I think any office amplifies the culture and you feel it a lot more when you're physically there. But like, what have you heard in terms of, uh, you know, from, from the different range of the people who don't want to return to offices or who maybe want companies to acknowledge that the experience was not always a positive one and that, that they really need to address some bigger issues than just like how comfortable the chairs are. Yeah. Um, well, the general consensus amongst folks who have had like very legitimate reasons for not um, being about office life at all are all the folks that are writing like these op-eds about how like office life is necessary uh, to work culture are the ones that pretty typically have the worst environments, have the worst office environments. And the, the idea that, um, you know, that we need to return back to this like full on office life is not only, you know, not true, but for some communities, very daunting, especially if you are um, a disabled person who, you know, comes who used to come from an office that wasn't all that accessible. The idea that we have to return back to where we were after years of not doing that, um, it, it, it almost feels impossible. It almost feels impossible to sort of revert backwards. And there are, I think, not enough industries in general that are considering what has to change drastically in order for this to be a viable option for many people who exist outside of the majority. So it, it's, I mean, luckily in our, in our industry, I think that um, we are a little bit luckier than most. I think that we, the experiences that we hear about are a little bit more positive than someone who may work in like deep corporate America. But I think that the general consensus amongst like marginalized professionals is that there needs to be um, a direct address of the things that have made um, office life particularly hard for marginalized communities and marginalized workers. And until we can do that, until we can have like a frank discussion about that, I think that there is going to be a little bit of a rift between this idea that we have to return to a normal and what the reality of that actually is. Yeah, and I, and I feel like coupled with that, 
uh, understandably, is mental health, right? Like, it's impossible to think about the last two and a half years and longer, but especially the last two and a half years or even the last week without thinking about the how you would have been with everything you were dealing with, um, you know, to have to go into an office and sit in the middle of a highly exposed space, feeling, dealing, processing the things you're processing, feeling the things you're feeling, all of us, but, and, and I say that with full recognition of my own privileges, like, a, you know, a, a more senior white guy even, but like, all of us have had days, quite a few days over the last few years where it's just like, I don't want to, like, I don't want my camera on. I don't want to have to feel exposed to people. And I think we all know that those days are not going away. Like the world's not going to get better in that regard anytime super soon. And so the thing that really, it's like when you hear people talk about like, let's all turn our cameras on. Let's all like, let's make a policy for this. And it's like, if you're in leadership and you're at the top of the food chain and you just love coming to work today because you're making $300,000 or whatever, like you are living a different life than the person who has to like come in from their studio apartment and like, you know, bus in and do all this other stuff. And then some days just feel like they're just have no interest in that level of exposure. Yeah. And it, that also goes the same for like, you have no idea how much masking is involved for like a person who is the only one in the room, whether you are the only woman, where you're the only black woman, whether you be, you're the only disabled person, there is a level of kind of like guarding that has to happen in order to exist in that space. So having to do that in person versus having to do that virtually to two totally different experiences. So again, like if you are a person who is like worked in like a largely like white staff and you have to think about sort of existing in that enclosed office environment, that could potentially be incredibly daunting. Now, there are great spaces that are like actively changing and where, where that doesn't feel, where that impact isn't so great, where like the environment is so, you know, wonderful and positive and healthy, that that's really not an issue. But if you are fostering an environment that's the opposite of that, that office life is going to be incredibly tense and you have to figure that out and address that, not just to make sort of office life better, but to make like work culture better in, in general. Like it goes now, not to just building a comfortable office, but like, Hey, let's look at our hiring practices. Let's look at just our overall culture and why it coming into the office is so hard for certain people. Jameson, one, one thing I, I want to be sure we talk about before we wrap up today, too, is the other side of this coin, right, is that agencies are like, oh, we're making offices more enticing, like more uh, productive, better places to be. But there is a large number of talent out there that has lost any interest in moving. Like wherever they are, wherever they managed to settle, wherever they've, they've built their life, uh, and I mean... I've been like this. I've, I've been in Alabama for 15 years, and every time someone's like, would you be willing to move? I'm like, nope. Uh, but now I feel like that's more and more common when re recruiters are reaching out to young talent, and they're messaging me and saying, should I dig my heels in? Should I be polite? Like, what, how should I respond? But the answer is no, I'm not willing to move to New York. You've also got rent is absolutely skyrocketing uh, in New York and other major cities. 
do you feel, Jameson, like agencies are are recognizing that reality? Because a lot of them are still telling these people, well, for now, we're not interested in hiring remote, but we may change our mind. So don't give up on us. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a large number of agencies that, you know, are pretty open to just like, we're so desperate for talent, we will hire from anywhere and we will make it work. You know, and I think for a lot of these agencies, it's just kind of finding the balance of like, how many people can you actually have remote before it actually maybe becomes a problem of, you know, because some of this, some of this work is just done better if you're in person. I mean, some teams have figured out how to do creativity and brainstorming and all this remotely, you know, really well. But for, you know, a lot of agencies you talk to, you know, they will generally agree that like the work is better if you've got a day or two a week in office and you have those spontaneous meetings and, and things like that. And it's not, you know, every call doesn't become a 30 minute Zoom. <clears throat> um, and so there's like that, yeah, they're trying to figure out that balance of like, how much can we really let our workforce be remote to, you know, what's, you know, how much do we need to be in office? You know, what are those days? How many people from the teams need to be here? Um, you know, when you're pitching new business, it makes it a lot easier if all 15 of you are in a room trying to uh, come up with it than half remote, half not. Um, so it's, yeah, it's that, it's kind of that weird mix. And at, at least of the agencies I talk to, nobody seems to have like really figured out what that right mix is yet. Yeah, I, I think pitching uh, and presenting in general, I've, uh, uh, I've not worked at an ad agency in the last two and a half years, but I, as someone who was on a pitch team for about seven years, I can't, I can't picture it. It's such a like war room environment of, of preparing and so much of the, so much of what makes a pitch a home run is the chemistry in the room is the ability to read the, the, the clients that are sitting in front of you and to know when they are, um, and not uh, vibing <laughs> and, and adapt to what you're doing. But it's I, it's certainly possible to do it all remote, of course. It's just, mm, uh, it's a challenge. Well, we want to hear what each of you, uh, if you're listening to this, we want to hear what you uh, think about the future of offices, whether there should be a future of offices, whether, uh, I don't know, where do you see it all going? You can leave us a note at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Or you can just ping us at, at Adweek on uh, Twitter, and we would love to, to hear what you think. Jameson Fleming, agency's editor for Adweek. It's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone checks out the story that you and Amy Lederman did in this week's issue of Adweek and on Adweek.com about the future of offices from agencies. It's a great read. Uh, Shannon, always such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. It's such a great time and I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so, so much. Are you just, are you just like still trying to, to ramp up the positive? Right. This until the wheels fall off, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to go back through my entire Twitter history now and be like, when, when did I emotion shame I'm Shannon into? <laughs> yeah. You're going to message it to me like 30 seconds from now. All, all feelings are valid. I will never. Yeah. Just, just be yourself. All right. Uh, thanks. Always a pleasure chatting with you both. All right. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This episode was produced by Al Manorino and edited by Lane McGibney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. That's adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay up to date on all things involving the Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter. It's at Adweek Podcasts. That's at Adweek Podcasts on Twitter. And if you have a question, like I said, just drop us a note, podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. 
Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.